Hello and welcome to Nightlight. I want to review some of what we've been discussing concerning righteousness and justice. And please remember, as we work through this material, that the guiding scripture that I want to keep us focused under and focused on is Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24. Let him who glories, glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For it is in these that I delight, says the Lord. And we've said in previous times together in, in this study, if God delights in these things, then we need to find out everything we can about them. And that means we've got to lay aside preconceived ideas of what these words mean. Have you ever noticed how many things, especially religious quote-unquote things, words, terms, are vague and undefined, and therefore they are not acted upon. Because how can you act upon something that is vague and undefined? And uh, the, the, the phrase, the righteousness of God, uh, is one of those vague, undefined concepts. What makes it worse, though, is even though it is vague and undefined, we think it's clearly defined and the activity that vague, undefined words produces in our life is equal to the definition. It's Our activity ends up being vague and undefined. And so I think the enemy loves to keep us stupid and passive and have a, a very shallow idea of things that we think we really understand in order to keep us shallow and inactive and unfruitful in righteousness and justice. If there's ever been a time in our history as a nation since the Civil War that uh, Christians need to be wide awake uh, and to understand the real meaning of justice in God's eyes and what it is to be righteous uh, in line with God's righteousness it's now. I could have said that in the 1950s when uh, racism was still dominating many people's lives. I could have said it in the 60s when there was beginning to be a pushback against injustice and unrighteousness disguised as uh, white religious uh, Christianity. Uh, certainly in those eras, needed people to be awake. A lot more people needed to be awake than than was awake. I include myself in that. But now, even though we've, yeah, we're, we're past the conflict of the 60s and the manifest uh, emerging of, of a true civil rights movement in the 60s, uh, we're not out of the, we're not out of the woods. Uh, in fact, in some ways, there may be more danger now 
even though there's also at the same time more good fruit now. I get kind of weary hearing people argue about this on both sides of the of the topic. Uh, those on the far left want to uh, keep stirring the stick, stirring the fire with the stick, uh, claiming that racism is as evil and dark a thing in America now as it was in the 40s and 50s and 60s. Well, that's easily refuted. Uh, it's 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 foolish on its face. Uh, but on the other end of the spectrum, I get really weary of what I consider un- inexcusably ignorant white Christians who make remarks like, what are they still bellyaching about? I mean, after all, they they control the the NBA, the NFL. They've got their own network on television. They're on every uh, program. As if, as if uh, some kind of high-profile popularity in the sports arena or in arts and entertainment somehow makes up for the fact that many black people grew up seeing their parents live in fear of retribution and even some of the many of them seeing their parents and or grandparents uh, the victims of uh, criminal abuse and even murder. Uh, some lynchings. So, uh, it's, it's beyond me that anybody would be so willfully stupid as to believe that uh, because uh, many, many excellent black people play in sports, that somehow erases the the, the evil I just described. How, how can it possibly? But that's that's part of the vague, foolish, undefined misunderstanding of reality that I'm that I'm talking about. Uh, the Holy Spirit is dealing with His people to press through vague, undefined, and therefore unobeyed commands of the Lord. They're not undefined commands of the Lord. He has defined them. They are undefined understandings of those commands in our minds and hearts, and we take refuge in thinking we understand them and therefore take refuge in the idea that we are obeying them. Recently, uh, a high-ranking authority figure in uh, the Southern Baptist denomination, which, just to be honest, I think needs to change their name because Southern Baptist was actually established, unless I am totally mistaken, and I don't think I am, Southern Baptist was a delineation marking itself in opposition to Northern Baptist over the issue of race and slavery. So the the maintaining of Southern Baptist as an identity, I think, has some problems. And if you've got information that will uh, contradict that, I would be happy to hear it. But otherwise, I think anybody in the body of Christ who is using labels that are birthed in the sin of racism and not making any effort to uh, expunge that and to repent of it corporately uh, needs to be uh, confronted about it. But anyway, one of these high-ranking officials in that denomination, which I 
by the way, deeply respect because of their commitment to the scriptures and to godly life and to the preaching of the gospel. But this uh, this high-ranking official uh, gave a message dealing with ongoing white racism exhibited in the name of Christian worship. And uh, I was I was not amused. I was really bemused and a little frustrated at some of the reactions I heard from different Christian broadcasters in various circles who were just coming down on this man and accusing him of acquiescing to uh, leftist propaganda and saying this guy should have known better than to take up arms against his brothers and sisters by taking sides with leftist propaganda, accusing uh, the church of ongoing racism. Well, this is what this is what you get into when you start delving into these deep waters. But delve into them we must. You don't stay in the shallows because the deep waters are difficult. You have to get out of the shallows and deal with the depths of the issues, or they continue to become. Uh, uh, dangerous to to what is valuable and true and good. And so we have to press into these things. And there's no black and white easy way to do it. No pun intended there. There's no, there's no simplistic, shallow, soundbite answers to, to these issues. Uh, I, I, I refer to the racial conflicts, but I also could uh, use the same uh, warning with reference to sexual brokenness. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not for one minute suggesting that uh, a person's race and a person's sexual orientation are equal. They are not. There is no genetic uh, foundation for the idea that certain sexual proclivities are rooted in... uh, ontological, inborn, uh, predetermined characteristics of a person. They're, they're, so I get frustrated whenever people start talking about uh, racism and then in the same breath start waving the flag of uh, LGBT uh, rights and so forth. Yet... Having said that, there are certain aspects of psychological, uh, emotional brokenness that do have more roots in physiology than we have been able to ascertain before up until now. Our, the research is getting better. The information is getting clearer. And as the research gets more uh, clearly understood, we are able to say, on the one hand, absolutely there is no such thing as a gay gene or there is no such thing as genetic uh, disposition towards uh, cross-dressing or pedophilia or whatever uh, aspect of sexual brokenness you want to name. But at the same time that you're able to say that, there, there needs to equally be a willingness to examine where we are finding uh, 
I mean, what have we done to our genetics? What have we done to our human mechanism uh, over the years of misuse on many levels? What kind of damage caused by sin is manifesting itself earlier and earlier in uh, psychological, emotional, and psychosexual brokenness uh, in children younger and younger, not to mention the evil demonic things we allow our children to be exposed to earlier and earlier. And uh, I hope you understand that. Uh, uh, God deliver us from being black and white, shallow legalists who just pitch out a text or a, a, a proof text or a Bible verse here and there, expecting that to settle the, the question. I mentioned, I think, uh, maybe in a previous message, how how, un, how unbearable it is to me when I hear Christians make references to things like, well, God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, as if that little silly play on words is profound and informative and should produce a psychological, sexual, and social revolution in the people who hear it so that if they have suffered from same-sex attraction, for instance, that silly little statement from a pulpit is supposed to shock them into repentance of some kind. It's it's an asininity that I don't really have right words to express my revulsion toward. But uh, having said all that, I do want to spend a few minutes now uh, in our opening moments together examining a danger in my opening up the can of worms that I've opened up. And the danger is this. Whenever we start focusing on anything other than the gospel, and that means anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself, are we not in danger of sliding over into a secondary focus in the name of the primary focus? And if you move toward a secondary focus in the name of a primary focus, without realizing it maybe, you are slowly but surely replacing the primary by exalting the secondary. Now that is actually one of the main meanings of the word anti-Christ. Anti in Greek doesn't just mean against Christ, and it doesn't just mean to replace Christ. It actually can imply and does imply the slow displacing of Christ with something in his name that eventually will displace him. So that really increases the area of where the spirit of Antichrist can be seen at work. Antichrist is more than 666 on your head or uh, secret police taking your Bibles away in the middle of the night and all the other stereotypical things we tend to think of. Not that I'm disregarding the, the reality of those two evil aspects. Uh, but but in American culture or free European culture or 
cultures where there is a, a modicum of freedom and we're not wondering if the secret police are, police are coming to our door to take our Bibles. The spirit of Antichrist is very much at work. Uh, the spirit of Antichrist is anything that takes away from the Lord Jesus Christ himself and is even more so an Antichrist spirit when it uses his name in order to replace him. Examples being Christian disarmament, Christian uh, pacifism, or Christian patriotism. Uh, C.S. Lewis addressed this well, of course, in the Screwtape Letters. When, uh, for those of you who still have not read the Screwtape Letters, which is kind of an unforgivable oversight on your part by now, Screwtape is talking to Wormwood about his client, his young Christian whom Wormwood is supposed to help ruin. And, and Screwtape says to him, I'd like to see you force him toward pacifism. This is written, of course, in the middle of World War II. So he said, make it, try to turn him into a pacifist. Make him anti-war. But if that doesn't work, you can equally, with good effect, make him a patriot. Make him a hyper-patriot. Uh, doesn't really matter which one. Screwtape says, uh, whichever he adapts, pacifism or patriotism. Your main task will be the same. Let him begin by treating the patriotism or the pacifism as a part of his religion. Then let him, under the influence of partisan spirit, come to regard his position as the most important part of his religion. Then quietly and gradually nurse him onto the stage at which the religion becomes merely part of the cause. The religion becomes merely an extension of his secondary position. Christianity is valued chiefly because of the excellent arguments it can provide for whatever secondary position he has taken. The attitude which you want to guard against in that uh, is that in which temporal affairs are treated as primary and primary issues are treated as only a mere servant of the secondary. So there are people I have encountered who I see it in churches. They have the Christian flag and they have the American flag. And in some cases, they have the American flag over the Christian flag. And quite often in these churches, they don't really understand image and symbol, so they don't really pay much attention to what they're communicating when they do that. But for people who do understand statecraft and do understand image and symbol and do understand that, you know, it does matter whether you serve communion with wine and bread or whether you do it with uh, Cracker Jacks and Pepsi, people who understand that the symbols do matter should immediately take issue with any presentation that puts 
nationalism on an equal place with the cross and should certainly be moved to action if they see a nationalistic symbol lifted above the cross. But I've seen it quite often down here in the Bible Belt and in white Anglo-Saxon Protestant uh, American apple pie America. Now, uh, look, I, don't don't misunderstand me. I'm not. I'm an American, and I'm not a pacifist, and I am a patriot. But I am certainly not a patriot that believes that the death of a soldier on the field of battle is somehow a an extension of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you can hear songs to that effect. And you can even hear sermons to that effect in very unbiblically, unbiblical uh, contexts. Uh, it's a whole study in itself to examine how nationalism does fit into God's plan and purpose. God established the nations uh, for a purpose. Uh, we, it's not we don't have the space today to examine all of that. It's a separate subject all its own. But um, to, to, for instance, say that uh, a nation should not have borders because if you're Christians, you should be willing to open the borders of your nation to take in whoever wants to come sounds, I guess, in some circles, compassionate. Actually, I don't know what circles that sounds compassionate in it to me it's inane and foolish in anybody's circle I, I i would like to follow home some of the people that stand for that position to see if they lock their door or to see if they might let me come in with 10 of my hand chosen street people friends to spend the night in their living room and have complete access to their children's bedrooms uh, but that never happens because when you're when you're an ideologue and you're into uh, pushing your own ideological point of view, nothing is more effective in uh, stopping the, the the clear debate of ideas and examination of their invalidity or validity than baptizing your inane ideas in religion. And so uh, Jesus wouldn't have borders on his nation. Well, yeah, he did. And uh, since he's God and he established the nations, you bet he had borders. You ever read any of the history of Israel, for heaven's sakes? For earth's sakes, I should say. Uh, it's real simple, folks. Uh, on the one hand, we are to be very mindful of the needs of the widow and the orphan and the needs of the stranger in our midst. But you know, when, when the Holy Spirit penned the words of the Torah that commanded Israel to be mindful of the uh, sojourner in, in, in Israel's borders, uh, that's, you better believe that sojourner was given clear warning that if he was going to sojourn in Israel, he better not cross certain lines of Israel's law. And if they did, they were subject to the penalties of the law. And so uh, you wouldn't have had uh, the Lord Jesus in his pre-incarnate 
form as Almighty God or his earthly form as the Son of David. You would not have the Lord Jesus Christ in any set of circumstances saying it's okay for a uh, multi-convicted felon who is still a rapist, murderer, and thief to come and have total access to your nation and ignore your borders and your borders law and your nation's laws in the name of compassion. It's it's just I know I wear the word stupid out, but it's worse than stupid. It's demonically, devilishly disintegrating to reality, which is always the purpose of the devil. The purpose of the princes of darkness is to disintegrate, to destroy, disunify, disfigure, dishonor God. That's the whole point. So having said all of that, I'm aware that when we start examining the call to do justice, there will be people on one side of this idea that will celebrate what I'm doing and say, yeah, by all means, it's about time you Christians woke up to injustice in the earth and, and start waving the flag of, uh, of social justice. But I want to make it clear before we go much further in this study, I, I know the term social justice has become a weapon of disinformation and wrong symbolism. And so I want to make it clear. I know most of you who listen to Nightlight already know this. You know this about me. You don't need me to tell you this. But we have new people coming in, and sometimes they're new not only to Nightlight, but new to the faith uh, in general. We'll make it very clear. Social justice as it is presented by the current American and European left is the very opposite of the justice and righteousness of God. Uh, You could not have a, a more diametrically opposed definition than you will find between left-wing social justice concerns and the scriptures. And let me add to that, you could not have more opposite definitions of biblical justice than you can often find in right-wing definitions of justice and social concerns. Now, that's it's not totally the same on the right as it is on the left. Not that the right is politically righteous. It just so happens, I guess this is an accident of French parliamentary history where the, 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 the proto-communists sat to the left and the proto-republicans sat to the right and that's how the term left and right began to be propagated to delineate between leftist socialism and communism and right-wing uh, republicanism and freedom. But the fact is that, uh, you know, for instance, we, we've got red states and blue states and the red states are supposedly right-wing and the blue states are supposedly left-wing but we talk about communism as being red, so 
It gets confusing, doesn't it? Well, the reason it gets confusing is because uh, the spirit of the age that wields all of this is the spirit of confusion, separation, disunity, uh, and, and all things ungodly and anti-family, anti-love, anti-truth. So having said all that, what I, what I want you to keep in mind is there there's evil on both sides. But on the right-wing side, there is somewhat of uh, still uh, a degree of sanity because it has not given up. So far, it's working hard to do it, but it has not yet for completely given up its uh, trans, uh, its uh, supernatural base, its roots in uh, the transcendent. But on the left, there has always been a, a greater concern for the needs of the poor and the downtrodden and those not cared for. Traditionally, in, in, at least in uh, shallow terms, there are people, see this is where you get in trouble. Start judging people by their labels and you're, you're quite often possibly misjudging them and not seeing their hearts. I, I've been a victim of that on college campuses where uh, leftists have accused me simply by identifying me with a certain group that they know are right-wing extremists. They just identify me automatically as having that position. And so quite often maybe a, a lesbian activist would come up and get in my face and start chewing me out for things that I actually totally agree with the lesbian activist in, like misogyny and like uh, the unjust treatment of women in religious circles and like the domination of abusive husbands over super submissive wives. And I could go on and on, but I, I mean, I, I, I try not to take too much pleasure in the look on their face when they find that I don't agree with the stereotypes they're throwing at me. And it opens up, lo and behold, a place of conversation where in, in a, few, a few occasions, not always, but certainly in a few occasions, I've been able to gain a, a, a bond on the heart level that opened the way for further dialogue, that opened the way eventually for a, what you might could almost call a ceasefire, and then even uh, maybe, maybe a friendship. I, I don't know if I could go that far, but a, a friendly willingness to hear one another. And truth and love was able to gain ground, and the kingdom moved forward through a conversation that uh, started with stereotyping, prejudice, and uh, uh, unloving behavior. It took me a long time to learn not to return evil with evil and not to come back in a light spirit. It took me a long time to figure out that Jesus does know what he's talking about more than I do and that uh, you can only overcome evil with good. You cannot overcome evil with evil. That's like trying to bathe uh, dirty water off with dirty water. It's just real simple. You can't overcome evil with evil. So we've got to find out what 
God calls evil and what God calls good. And we've got to make sure that we are not confusing that those truths and and uh, trying to overcome evil with evil in his name. So whatever you try to do in his name that is not of his spirit is the spirit of Antichrist. Let that soak in. Let that statement soak in. Whatever we as Christians do in his name, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, whatever we do in his name, that is not of his spirit, we are actually manifesting the spirit of Antichrist. So that should give us uh, a sense of holy fear to examine ourselves before we we go off half-cocked. It always comes to my mind, I guess because I've grown up in the Bible Belt, I've grown up in uh, in the days, the final days, thankfully, the closing days of the Jim Crow laws. Uh, I grew up in the days when uh, uh, big-bellied sheriffs, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant church-going uh, lawmen, supposedly, called themselves lawmen, took great pleasure in uh, bullying and uh, mistreating black people on the streets in the name of keeping the peace. It's remarkable. These lawmen claimed to be keeping the peace by acting unlawfully and disrupting the peace, all while wearing the trappings of uh, good, solid, American, small-town righteousness. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm always examining my heart on this to make sure that I have not picked up a, uh, a spirit of, of anger and judgment against them. You can hear it in my voice even right now. I hear it in my voice. I, I really hope you don't hear it in my voice, but I, I don't think you're stupid. I think you can hear it. The disdain that is still there when I think of, uh, of those things. There, to, to me, there's nothing, there's nothing more ungodly than a lawman who misuses the law for his own ungodly purposes. Uh, and the scriptures agree with me in Isaiah chapter 10. Woe to the judges who pervert justice. Woe to them. So uh, though I don't want to posture myself in an attitude of judgment and damnation on my fellow sinner who needs mercy as just as much as I need mercy. Yet at the same time, uh, if we don't see this evil for what it is, it'll, it'll creep right along and continue to take on different forms and continue to manifest itself. And so the, the struggle that we have between, uh, Christian obedience and the danger of falling into a pseudo-Christian antichrist spirit that has replaced the true cross with other symbols and has replaced the true gospel with other messages 
has replaced the scriptures with pamphlets and uh, political uh, printed information. We've, in other words, we've replaced our concern for the poor with our concern to overthrow capitalism. We've replaced our concern for crime and and uh, rampant ungodliness in the streets with our desire to stockpile as many guns as we can possibly own and to celebrate violence and try to pass that off as justice. My gosh, how many of us, surely you know, you know what I'm talking about. Now maybe maybe some of the ladies that listen to this message won't relate to this, but I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know that, I don't know if we can make that great a difference between men and women. Because the spirit of injustice is always looking for a just person to manifest itself through. Because if it can manifest itself through an, a just person, a truly godly person, it wins a greater victory for injustice than if it just finds another clod of evil that it functions through. I, I remember years ago, a dear friend of mine who pastored a church in southern Alabama, they were in the middle of uh, standing against abortion. And their church was going to a certain part of town uh, every weekend to march and pray, mostly pray, in front of the abortion clinic. And uh, one day he was sitting at his desk and uh, uh, an elderly lady, a member of his congregation, burst through his door in tears and told him, she said, I, I, I think I must, maybe I just meant, I, I, I need deliverance. I'm demonized. And what happened was she, this woman was in her mid-70s. That's not as elderly, by the way, as it used to be when I first heard this story. 70s is uh, not not that old now, but anyway, she said we went down to the abortion uh, clinic today uh, to, to to pray, and it was my turn to to lead in prayer. And as I was standing up to begin to pray, one of the people in the abortion clinic came out and began to focus at me. I guess because I was the one standing out from the crowd, like I was the leader. And he began to just focus all his cursing and railing and yelling at me. And she said, he walked toward me. There was a demilitarized line between them that neither of them were to pass. But he walked toward her. She said, all of a sudden, when I saw him walking toward me, she said, I dropped my Bible and went walking toward him. And she said, if I could have gotten my hands on his throat, I would have squeezed his throat till his eyeballs popped out. And uh, she was, she was, this is not funny, but as she was telling this, my, my friend told me, as she was telling this, she was moving in and out of two emotional states of mind. On one level, she was crying and upset because she said, Pastor, I'm, I've got a spirit of murder in me. I need to be delivered of a spirit of murder. But it, while she was telling the story, every now and then in the midst of telling the story, up would pop in her this gleeful desire to choke him till his eyeballs popped out. And both were going on inside her at the same time, which is 
not that shouldn't be a surprising story to any of us that are awake and uh, aware of our humanity and our need for a savior and our need for the holy spirit to dwell in us and guide us but uh the devil loves to get injustice manifesting through supposedly just causes and uh we, we who tend to claim ourselves as on the right and i I want to say more and more, I'm, I'm ceasing to identify myself with the right. Uh, I, I don't know of anything more despicable than the Republican Party. They're more despicable than the Democratic Party because the Democratic Party loves perversion, the murder of children, and the propagation of every evil you can imagine and some you can't imagine. They love it and they celebrate it and they make no bones about that that's what they love and that's what they celebrate. The Republicans on the other side of the the, the, the situation are hypocrites. They claim to b- believe the, the, the gospel or at least if they're not covert, overtly religious, they do claim to believe in a certain kind of morality as long as they don't have to vote to support the uh, the laws that will manifest that morality. By the way, don't ever fall for the lie that says you're imposing your morality on me and you have no right to impose your morality on other people. All law is an imposition of somebody's morality. There is no such thing as freedom on the left, but imposition of morality on the right. Whatever law is in force is an enforced law. Unless, of course, you are currently a part of the fiasco going on in Washington right now, where the disregard for law is just a normal part of everyday life. And uh, if you're uh, a left-wing judge who thinks that you've been uh, set on the bench to make law instead of enforce law, then uh, you find out the the lawlessness in the end of the age is not primarily perpetrated by thugs in the street. It's much more perpetrated by three-piece suit politicians in Washington and state capitals and other places. But to get back to the point, by the way, the main point of this message so far is the danger of misunderstanding biblical righteousness and justice and replacing godliness and righteousness and justice with a secondary political point of view that you think is your true godly relationship um, I'll give you another example. A few years ago, Mary and I, uh, uh, she wanted to, she said, let's get a movie. And I, I went to the movie store. There was a movie on Amazing Grace. This is not to be confused with the excellent film called Amazing Grace that was about the life of William Wilberforce. This was a movie about John Newton. And I thought, well, this can't be bad. So I brought it home, and it didn't take but about 20 minutes for us to figure out this was a movie, yes, about John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, the former slave ship captain 
who had come to repentance and became a great ally of Wilberforce in their battle against slavery. But the message of this film, which was made by black filmmakers, and I'm not I'm not overstating this. I'm, I'm, I'm being careful with how I'm describing this to be accurate and fair. Their message was this. We don't need your white man's religion. We don't need your John Newton gospel. John Newton, according to this movie, was not saved from the wrath of God because he had come to the Lord Jesus Christ and repented of his sins and received the cleansing of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. No, sir. He was saved because he became anti-slavery. Now, this is a perfect example of the spirit of Antichrist using evil in the disguise of social justice and being evil in the disguise of social justice. I hope I'm not insulting your intelligence by repeating these things, but I have the same struggle, and I, maybe rightly or wrongly, I assume that we all are subject to being tempted to make secondary things primary, and therefore inadvertently dishonoring what it should always be primary. Now here, here's, but that brings me to this issue. And now I'm only uh, coming to the main point that I wanted to address at the close of our time together, which means we'll get into this in much more detail in the next session, Lord willing. But there is an error in the other end of this that we've got to be careful of. And that is that being overly concerned that we might dishonor the gospel by making social justice issues too important, that isn't, that's the ditch on the other side of the road you can fall into. Because that brings us to the warning in the book of James. Oh, be warmed and filled. God bless you. Be at peace. But don't lift a finger to actually do anything. We are responsible if we, if we are obeying the Lord Jesus, if we are making primary things primary, then in order to obey the primary, we have to be sure that we obey the secondary commands. Because I don't know at some point if it's right to speak of them as separate, primary and secondary first things and second things. Obviously, the first thing is to honor and obey the Lord Jesus. But if honoring and obeying the Lord Jesus is to to obey what he says, and if what he says is to do what we're calling secondary things, then obeying the primary and the secondary are the same thing. Am I making any sense? He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Um, 
I, I know that we all can't do everything. I, I'm, I'm very concerned about the sexual slave trade. I'm very concerned about sexual brokenness in the culture and what's happening in uh, uh, media, especially in movies and music. I'm, I'm extremely concerned about the educational system. I'm concerned about poverty. I'm concerned about uh, abortion and what what is happening to our children and, and to the whole culture once you begin to slaughter children. By the way, just as a horrible aside, I guess you all do know that the wonderful Republican Party just refinanced Planned Parenthood. But never mind, don't worry. They'll, they'll do something about it next time. Okay. Which just underscores what, what we are increasingly having to be re-reminded of over and over, that politics is never the answer. Yes, be involved. Yes, vote. But uh, the, the only answer is the kingdom of God. The righteousness of God manifested through God, godly people. And so that's why the primary thing of the gospel is manifested in the secondary thing of whatever it is the Holy Spirit has called you to do. Uh, I can't be nearly as involved in the pro-life movement as I would like to be. I can't be nearly as involved in uh, orphans and and other areas. I I don't have the strength. I don't have the emotional strength. I'm just telling you, I can't bear it. The one time I tried to, to minister in an orphanage on the border of Mexico... Uh, it it affected me so negatively for days to come that it nearly shipwrecked me. I went down there because I felt responsible to, not because the Holy Spirit called me to do it. Um, that's just a confession of my weakness, but it also is a confession of the fact that the Lord doesn't call you to do that which He has not equipped you to fulfill. Um, and so... I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty about what you're not doing because there's plenty I'm not doing. I'm trying to find what I'm responsible to do and give myself to it in the in the time that I've got left. Um, so I'm, I'm just appealing to all of us. In, in the next session that we share together, I'm going to go into some great detail scripturally. You'll... I know I didn't I didn't address much scripture in this hour together because I really just I just maybe forgive me maybe I just needed to vent maybe I just needed to get some of this off my chest at your expense uh but if you'll forgive me for that next hour we will get into uh, maybe more scripture than you want to try to digest but when you start studying in in scripture what the bible has to say about Works of righteousness. Uh, See, one of the great errors that the evangelical church fell into at the turn of the century, uh, and the the rapture doctrine, I think, sadly had something to do with this. We're just going to fly out of here. Let the world go to hell. It's not our responsibility. We're just going to get out of here. That that dominoed into uh, something that sounds good, we are just committed to getting the gospel out. All we want to do is get people saved. Well, 
That sounds good. It just doesn't happen to match what the Lord Jesus Christ told us to do. He said, make disciples of the nations. Making disciples, obeying all things that I have commanded you. So, see, here's another subtlety. I spent a whole hour talking about the spirit of Antichrist subtly pulling us away from the gospel and getting us into making secondary things primary, but he can work in the other opposite direction just as much by making the primary only partially primary and thinking that you're fulfilling the whole command because you're just doing one part of it. So we don't worry about the poor, and we don't worry about social justice, and we don't worry about racism. We don't worry about all those things. You know, uh, Jesus is coming. We're all going to fly out of here. We just want to get as many people saved as we can before the rapture. And forgive me again, I I don't mean to make fun. I don't mean to mock. I know I sounded a little mocking there, but folks, we are the salt of the earth the light of the world. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might to the glory of God. Whether it's raising your own children, working in your own uh, private business, and, and being the best and godliest business person you can be, and being a light and being salt in that realm, and, or whether you can uh, give yourself to other larger issues. I've got a very close friend uh, who's... Uh, working in the prison system now and very effectively. Uh, I, I never foresaw him doing that, but he that's his calling. That's, it took him, like me, it took him many years to find out what he's really supposed to do, and he's doing it with all of his might. Um, stay open to the Holy Spirit to guide you into whatever is next for you. And hopefully, prayerfully, in our next hour together, I will be able to, to just lay out from the scriptures, lots of scripture, just what God does require of this of us. He has shown us what is good. And what does the Lord require of us but to do justly and to love mercy and walk humbly with your God. Okay, what does it mean to do justly? Um, we're going to examine that. Another another item that I want to just put in your thinking that we'll we'll have to address in a in a separate session later is why is it that the law, the justice system, can so easily become so lawless and so unjust? I just mentioned the so-called uh, party of pro-life, the Republican Party. They're not pro-life. They're not, they're not fighting for the lives of unborn children. They're just using that as a ploy to keep gullible people like us uh, voting for them and uh, putting them back in office over and over and over. What's going to happen when the passive sleeping body of Christ fully awakens to our calling, our anointing, and our opportunity and our responsibility. When we take away from the government the, the job that uh, they should never have been doing and they never can do properly, and we begin to be kings and priests in the earth, 
Uh, well, I long for the day when we find out what that will be like. But right now, you're doing what you're called to do. I'm doing what I'm called to do. And God helping us with the Holy Spirit's direction as we study what the scriptures have to say about justice in the earth. Uh, we will enlarge our vision and God will enlarge our capacity and we will take more territory for the kingdom. Pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. God bless you all. Thanks for listening. Lord willing, we'll be together again in a few weeks. Bye-bye.